0: You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.
1: Good morning, listeners, and welcome to Dr. Ann's Relationship Radio. For those of you who are not up on the latest stuff that's going on in California our utility decided to turn off a lot of people's power, like thousands of people's power, in order to supposedly prevent fires. So the power is now back on in Northern California, and all is well, and I have to share with you that having all the power off is much more of an inconvenience than I ever thought it would be. I had no idea, and didn't prepare, For losing most of the food in my freezer, and I had no idea how uncomfortable it would be not to have access to all the conveniences I've been afforded. And being without a computer? Well, that was scary. My point is, here in Northern California, being without power was a minor inconvenience. I think of all those folks across the country who have lost their homes, and my experience pales in comparison. However, I learned a great lesson from this experience. It's one that I can share with you and my friends and relatives who don't live here where I do. And what's the lesson? To be grateful for the abundance in our life and not take it for granted. As we walk through our lives, we could learn from the experience of others if we just take time to listen. We rarely listen to other people's life stories because we are so busy or because we just know their story will be boring or because of a myriad of other excuses. Well, today, our guest has so many experiences from which we can all learn lessons. I invited her on to share some of them. She is gracious enough to let me lead her through telling some of her life stories. I hope our listeners will use this morning's interview as a template for how to ask questions of others and how to interact with them as they tell some of their life stories. We miss so much when we are so self- and family-focused that we don't take time to listen to our friends, our business associates, our relatives, and especially our children. For our children, every day is a life story. If we sit and listen, as my listeners out there know, every Wednesday I try to deliver a complete introduction of our guests and their accomplishments. Today, I have decided not to rob us of the adventures our guest has had by telling you what they are ahead of time. Today, our very brief introduction will allow us to just listen to our guest's experiences as if you were listening to an adventure story. So here's my brief introduction, and we can build on that. Ready? Our guest today is a graduate of the University of Southern Minnesota and has a teaching degree in theater, communications, and English. That's all you get to know for now. Ready for the adventure? (coughs) Welcome to Dr. Ann's Relationship Radio, Ann Kendrick, and I understand you're getting
2: over a cold. I am. I apologize if I cough every now and again.
1: That's okay. I'm so excited to have you on our program today. And you have such a very interesting life that I fear we can only get the highlights. And I want to thank you in advance for allowing us to share some of your memories. Now, Anne, I understand that in 1963, while you were in college, you went on a USO tour for two months. The Far East Command. Yes. Tell us about this and what it was like for you to be a college student in such <laughs> a different culture.
2: Well, it was uh, it was thrilling. I have to say, we were in Japan, Korea, Guam, Okinawa, the Philippines, and Taiwan, yeah. and we traveled to our military bases in each of those countries as well as doing one show for, as they referred to it, the nationals, the local people. And the rest were at all different military bases. And it was a real eye-opener and life-changing. You know, uh, about two years ago, let's see, oh, I can't count that far, um, we had a, a reunion of all of us in the cast. And there were a dozen of us plus the director, who did this, and uh, we all got together in Minnesota, where we're from, and talked about how doing that tour, being members of that group, changed our lives, and truly, it did. These people, our directors selected to go on that tour, were not professionals. Some of them didn't have much theater experience at all, but they had beautiful voices, And the show we did was a musical, perhaps you've heard of, called Guys and Dolls. Of course. And so we had to, uh, we all came together. A couple of them were from um, the uh, music department, in the singing department. Some had, could barely carry a tune. Nobody was a skilled dancer, and yet we all learned dance routines. So... um, it was, we followed uh, Bob Hope that year because oh we God. traveled in February and March and part of April. So it was absolutely the most eye-opening thing we've done, I have done in my life. And all of my old friends, and they're still around, uh, agreed and how it changed their lives. There were three or four people who went into to becoming drama teachers. In high schools oh uh, it's amazing it's amazing we well, I, the largest audience we ever performed before was an audience of 5,000 Koreans in Seoul Korea and the smallest was in a little nightclub where we had to change costumes in the manager's office and everything in between
1: <laughs> that sounds so life-changing It Um, was. I bet it was, and I wish I could have done that when I was young. Uh, As a result of this experience, and I know you alluded to this just a few minutes ago, did you learn any life lessons that you've carried with you throughout your life?
2: Oh, boy. Um, I have to say some of those life lessons I learned long before that USO tour, just the way I was raised. I'm an only child. So... I got by with nothing, may I say? <clears throat> but also, um, I had my parents were unique in that. They saw the value in the human spirit. and especially my father, and kind of promoted that in me. So I think the thing that I learned, one of the things that I learned on this trip, is to pay attention and to listen to and show kindness to, the people we were encountering. For example, these military guys we were performing for were so lonely, (coughs) excuse me, and young. And uh, when we were on a military base, if we were going to have a meal, we'd sit down at a table and all the other military guys around there would come and sit with us just to talk to us and watch us eat.
1: Yeah, the USO is such a wonderful organization. Oh, yes. Yes, it is, and I'm hoping some of our listeners donate to it. Um, I have no financial interest in it, obviously, but it is an organization that provides so many wonderful things for our military, men and women. Yes.
2: Um,
1: Thank you for doing that service, and that was a while ago. That was around the Vietnam War, correct?
2: It was, and I was
1: a teenager. Uh, and, and did you fly in and
2: out or over war zones? No, because we were college students. We had visas to go into Vietnam, but uh, because we were college students, they decided that wouldn't be the best way to go. Oh, Much a- to the delight of my parents, I will say. Yeah, but me uh, too. We, uh we traveled to all branches of military um, we had some harrowing experiences we in Korea we crossed the the DMZ the demilitarized zone and had North Korean soldiers three feet from us so oh my goodness that was a little harrowing um, but it was it was thrilling and we all talked about what a difference it made. We bonded together like. Like family.
1: I bet you did. Were you scared when you were three feet away
2: from the North Korean soldiers? (laughs) Oh, my, yes. Yes. Absolutely. (laughs) We were protected. I mean, we had our military people next to us, but it was still, well, you know, a bit discombobulating to have these soldiers who were probably our age armed to the teeth right next to us to make sure that we didn't do anything wrong. I think
1: I would have been paralyzed. (laughs) Now, Anne, you went on to be a flight attendant for American uh, Airlines out of Chicago for a year and a half. I did. Describe what life was like in the 70s for a flight attendant.
2: Not nearly as wild and crazy as you would, uh, as the movies and books would have you believe. Oh, darn. (laughs) (laughs) Excuse me. It was, um, it was certainly a different time, but I have to say that the, um, the, the attitude, the flavor of the, uh, the, the flight attendants was no different than what you would find in corporate America. I mean, as far as the way the flight attendants were treated. Now, I will say, and much to my chagrin at the time, um, life was different for females.
1: Now, Uh, Ann, I'm going to have to interrupt because we have a a hard break. Okay. And we're going to come back and talk to you about being a flight attendant in the the 70s. Okay. We will be right back with Ann Kendrick.
4: This is Ron Camacho, host of the Business Hour, on Fridays from 10 to 11 a.m. Join me as I talk with passionate professionals on a program that profiles the best businesses, business practices, and fascinating business professionals to get an insider view of how America works. The Business Hour from 10 to 11 a.m. on America's Web Radio.
0: The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction, or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.
1: Welcome back, listeners, to Dr. Ann's Relationship Radio. We are here this morning with Ann Kendrick, who has such an interesting life, and we're using this as a template about how to have really interesting conversations with people about their experiences in life. And as we were talking before the break, Ann was telling us about what it was like to be an American Airlines flight attendant in the 70s. So, And you said it was not
2: as exciting as one might think. Could you pick up where we left off? I shall do that. It wasn't as crazy, I think is a better way to phrase it. It was a reflection of, of life for everybody in every aspect of work back then. Um, it was certainly more stringent. They had a lot more rules. They, uh, in order to become a flight attendant, you had to pass a lot of tests. Constantly, Not exactly a thrill to be weighed in front of everybody once a month, but uh-huh. those were the rules. And, uh, I and remember. Was, yeah.
1: I, was, I wanted it, to be a flight attendant, and then I thought, oh, my God, I'd have to be weighed and have to look cute all the time. <laughs> I don't think so.
2: <laughs> well, they told us how we would wear our hair, what skirt lengths we would have on our uniforms, they, were, they had lots of rules and, uh, and lots of training, but it was a smart thing to do. I was in on the, uh, the inaugural flights of a lot of 747s, which was, which was fun. And, wow. uh, and I met a lot of great people. This is the thing that I take away from that. Um, when I traveled, I'm still friends with these people, uh, with these USO people. There there are just so many fantastic opportunities out there to meet new people and find out what life is like for them today, and I enjoy that. Yes, I bet you do. Now, I
1: think of um, the flight attendants that we hear about on the news who have to put up with these obnoxious, horrible passengers. Did you have to do that? I think it was a different time. I I think our obnoxiousness and horribleness was sort of
2: masked in the 70s. Or not am I wrong? so much not so Uh-oh. much <laughs> oh no oh yes not so much but you um, were it was not lovely the way some people behaved but there were ways of handling that handling it and there were crews on board you didn't have to tolerate a lot of bad behavior i certainly did not that's not what i would approve of nor would i have others Allowed to treat me that way, so not such a not such a problem. It's uh but it's just it's so different today. I've met flight attendants <laughs> who were flying when I was flying, and uh, and and by gum, it's way past retirement time, and yet they're still flying. Well, good for them. I say, oh. good for them. Work until you uh, working.
1: Um, after retirement age, actually has a lot of research about how that helps your brain to, see, to stay active and on top of things. So,
2: you know, I have, I have followed the advice. I'm just going to veer off here a little bit if you don't yeah. mind, that memory thing is concerned. I have a theater friend, and I've, I've, I uh, I last did a show with him four or five years ago. The man is in his 90s, 90s and he still does theater and uh, and sings and does all of that it's not his best work but you know he's still amazing and one of the things that he does every day is uh and we li- he lives in Walnut Creek uh is he calls his sister in southern california every single day and on the phone they do a crossword puzzle together oh. and i thought well if it's good enough for him by gum, I do a crossword puzzle every single morning, and I don't leave the table until it's done. It's just a good muscle exercise for my brain.
1: It totally is, and being a psychologist, I'm really interested in this, and so we're going to just veer off the subject a little bit more, but um, the research is really important about keeping your brain active, and there's all kinds of apps that have Put words together on it, and uh, that one can do to keep your brain alive and active. Well, um, I'm glad so, to know that. <laughs> yes, I have so many other patients who are um, in in their later years come in and they're having memory problems, and I ask them, so what do you do? Well, I, you know, I watch TV and then I garden, and that's not going to keep your brain active. But no. I want to go back to you because I have. A question for you that is a personal question and I want <laughs> okay. to say I hate air turbulence and I'm going to admit this to you and all my listeners it just scares me it'll be so our when secret I'm in, yeah, when I'm in a plane that is experiencing air turbulence I look at the flight attendants and they always look so calm and cool yes any advice for those
2: of us do not embrace flying is a fun thing to do. Well, keep your seatbelt fastened. That's yeah. one I am never in my seat without having that seatbelt fastened. I went through lots of turbulence and that's a big reason why the flight attendants look cool and collected um, because they've been through this a lot. The, uh, the tricky stuff is the CAT, clear air turbulence, because you don't know when that's going to come and that is not doesn't always happen, but you can be in a clear sky and all of a sudden drop. And uh, there's just um, no way to know that it's going to happen. <coughs> Excuse me. But I, uh, um, the best you can do, as I said, is stay strapped in. Yeah, well, I just have to trust the pilots. Yes, because there's
1: nothing you're going to do about it. Well, I know. I remember being in a plane coming from Las Vegas back to California. Mm -hmm. And um, my husband was asleep, bless his heart, and I can never sleep on an airplane. And all of a sudden, I see this flash of light. And the interior of the, the plane cabin gets all warm. And there's no... Nobody says anything. And finally... After what seems like hours, which was probably minutes, a flight attendant comes on and says, or the pilot comes on and says, "You know, our left wing was hit by lightning, (laughs) but there's no damage to it, and we will continue on to our destination." And so, uh, this one of the stewardesses near me, and she said, "Oh yeah, he's a navy trained pilot. He's been through everything." Sure. Yeah, but I bet you guys have some scary moments up there.
2: Well, uh my scary moments were more on the ground during inclement weather during the winter. Really? Oh gosh, yes, cuz if you you wouldn't think of it being from California. I'm from the Midwest, lots of snow. And I because we were based in Chicago, we could reach either coast in about the same amount of time. So I spent a lot of time Flying to the East Coast as well as the left uh, as well as the West Coast, and uh, landing was always a guess because there was nothing you could do about the ice other than the, the typical try to melt it and so on and so forth. But I remember a couple of times landing in Buffalo, New York, where when the plane finally came to a stop, the audience applauded. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Was that the scariest thing that's ever happened to you? Really? Yes. Yes.
1: Oh. Wow. Okay, I always look forward to landing because it means I'm on the ground. <laughs> but that's, that's a secret between you and me that we won't tell right. anybody. <laughs> All right, I won't. All right. So let's see. To correct or verify a long-time rumor, is it true that pilots used to hit on the flight attendants all the time? We're going to get into the nitty-gritty of this.
2: (laughs) I truly have to say that it was really not that much different than corporate America at the time. Hmm. It was the the flavor of, of, uh, of, you know, what was going on in this country in the 70s. And uh, it wasn't that much different. You know, we had a good relationship. I had a good relationship with the crews that we flew with. Some of them were silly. Some of them were serious and didn't talk. And it was like going to an office, truly. Okay.
1: okay. Well, um, Ann, we're going to come up on a heartbreak in about a minute and a half. So I'm okay. going to get this next question in that I want to ask you. What led you to stop being a flight attendant?
2: Well, I'm, I'm a tad OCD. That's an exaggeration. I'm not at all, a little. And your schedule when I was flying changes every single month. And so, and in, in climate weather, you could be stranded here, you could be sent there. And I like schedule and structure. So while I had a good time doing it, I didn't want to do it anymore. I wanted some structure. And so that's why.
1: Okay, well, um, I'm going to fit another little question in, and I'm going to have to probably sure. interrupt you. But and So then you, after you stopped being a flight attendant, you traveled around Europe for four months by yourself, and when I learned that, I thought to myself, wow, in the 60s and 70s, that was really a gutsy move for a female. You know. Where did you get the, where did you get the courage to do this?
2: I never looked at it as being courageous. Really, I met some fascinating people on the planes because I was always talking to them. I wanted to know what they did, where they were from, where they were going, and so on and so forth. And I talked to a lot of people. And the best thing that they were all saying, because I was in my late twenties at the time, mm-hmm. um, was to get out and see the world. And okay, I really that was in them- mind. With that in mind,
1: I have to break us and okay We will be back with Ann Kendrick having some adventures with her. We okay, be
4: right back. Get your pen and paper ready. If there is a move in your near future, I'm here to tell you that the folks I used and now recommend is a town movers. Timothy and the guys column
2: this is daryl Pulis inviting you to listen to america's homegrown veggie show right here every saturday morning at 10 eastern time great guests great tips and valuable information about growing your own vegetables fruits and herbs
4: want to remind everybody to listen tomorrow to David's Pick. We have a very special guest on, Eden Nastall. And you'll find her extremely interesting. Uh, She's been inducted into the Georgia Military Hall of Fame. And we look forward to uh, her telling us about her hero magazine that uh, she puts out. So be sure and listen at 10 o'clock tomorrow to David's Pick only on America's Web Radio. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.
1: Welcome back, listeners, to Dr. Anne's. Relationship Radio. Gosh, I'm so interested in our guest, I almost forgot the name of my radio program. And we're here chatting with Ann Kendrick about um, her really, really interesting life and using it as an example of how we can learn more about people and what lessons they have learned in life. And Ann, before the break, you were talking about traveling around Europe as a single female in the 60s and 70s. And I'm I'm wowed, because that, (laughs) to me, takes a lot of courage. So could you pick up where we left off?
2: Certainly. My plan when I began this trip was not to stay four months. I had actually planned to go for six weeks, but I couldn't find any of my buddies to go with me. They just didn't have the time, didn't want to take the time. And some of my other friends said, go by yourself. It's fine. And truly, it was. This is 1971. And uh, so I made arrangements, got a passport, never had one before, uh, and made, uh, got um, um, tickets to fly to London. And uh, once I got there, and I had my, honest to goodness, my Europe on $5 a Day book. Do you remember those? I do. I was
1: was like 12. No, I'm kidding.
2: (laughs) Oh, thank you. (laughs) But it was genius, that book. I followed it. It never left my purse. And I followed all the directions, the suggestions, the ideas, places to go, restaurants to eat, how to find a place to stay, because I had no arrangements other than a round-trip ticket with no date for returning. And so... Uh, I followed the suggestions that they'd say. In Europe, I traveled by train only because that's how I got to talk to people, find out who they were and what they were doing. And so after I would spend time, one of my friends said, always stay at least a week wherever you go so that you remember what you did there and what it was like. And I followed that directive. Um and saw so many fascinating things. It was awe-inspiring to me. For example, I spent time in Greece. I met someone on a train from Rome um, who was going to visit his sister who lived on the island of Mykonos and said, she's about to have her second child. Why don't you come visit? You know, because she would enjoy speaking to another American. And so I did. Oh, and, wow. And a month on Mykonos. And, oh, poor, uh, you, poor you. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Yeah. And so it was, it was a lot of things like that, where I would meet people, talk to them, and, uh, and I'm a trusting soul, much to the chagrin of my father, I will tell you that. But um, I just expected people to be nice, and they are. They really were. I never felt in danger. I always had the good fortune of meeting people who were kind, and I think most people are if you give them a chance mm-hmm. and show some wow. interest. So, so it was, I, re, I, I have to tell you this one thing because I never forgot it. I was yeah. in Rome standing on a street corner with a map because we didn't have cell phones at the time, trying to figure out a way to get to something. And somebody yelled at me, and I'm looking around, I certainly didn't know anyone, and there was uh, this person up, oh golly, I don't know how many floors, yelling down at me from a balcony, an older man, and he came running down and gave me directions, he could see I was kind of flummoxed as to where I needed to go, and gave me directions, how cool is that? That is really cool, that's really kind. It is kind.
1: Yeah, tell us the top two adventures you had as a single female in Europe by
2: yourself. Oh, there are so many. And of course, this is... the top two? Okay, well, that was one of them. One of the biggest advantages or thrills I had was staying in Mykonos Um, and meeting the people. I worked for a while while I was there. I got to know the grandparents of these little babies because this woman was married to a Greek. And it was fascinating how rich your life can be with so little. Because she didn't have much, but uh, she was a thrillingly happy person. Very centered. Her children were happy. Her third baby was happy. You know, it was... It was just an adventure. I, um, I know when I got to Copenhagen, the way I would find a place to stay, and if I'm rambling, stop me, um, I would go to a train station, the one that I came in on, and uh, they had what was called a room-finding area. So you'd go there, tell them what you wanted, and they would find a place for you to stay. You'd get in a cab, they'd take you there. They'd wait for you to come back and tell you if it was okay or not, because you always had to examine the place first. Mm-hmm. And uh, I ended up staying with this lovely woman, and she had another roommate, uh, not a tenant, I should say, who worked as a waiter. And she said, you've brought sunshine to my home. That was the nicest thing she could have said to me. Um, and, and people are like that. They, they want to like other people. And they want to be liked and listened to. You know, it was interesting when I was flying uh, these 747s, I would say people, passengers, were not well behaved on those because they felt like they were a herd of cattle. So if I was standing in the front of my section and it was a packed uh, service and I would start going, mm. <laughs> Pretty soon, they'd look up at me, and they'd laugh. They got what I was trying to say. <laughs> and, uh, and and people just like that personal t- attention. Yes, and it's we fascinating do. to do it.
1: Yes, yes. Now, Ann, um, I believe you told me that you married, and then you got a divorce. And if I recall correctly, in the 60s and 70s, divorce was not as
2: accepted as it is right. today. Right. What was it like for you to be a divorcee? You know what I discovered and I certainly was not happy about this um, when I had that when I was going through that divorce and we owned a home and we had a business and so forth and I had been a schoolteacher so I had credit and yet the credit cards we had between us were all cancelled for me because they only looked at my husband as having credit mm-hmm. Well that certainly stuck in my craw <laughs> so, I went out and got my own credit and never let that happen again. But um, it was, that's when I, see, I had been a school teacher out of college, and after that divorce, that's when I decided I- I'd see if I could be a flight attendant. So it really didn't impact me that much because I was off doing something else that a lot of other women were doing.
1: Yes, and it sounds like you just decided to do such interesting things that um, I think, from my humble perspective, required a lot of courage and then Anne, you married again what happened to that
2: second marriage? Um, well, he's actually he was the actually the father of my children, made some bad choices that I didn't think were appropriate to be around children, and so you know when you've gone through it once, going through it a second time, I really didn't care what other people thought. I cared about what I feel felt was good for my children and good for me. And that's why I did that. That's also, you had wanted me Wyatt, uh, to talk about why I decided to become uh, uh, go to work as a cocktail waitress nights, night. Yes. And that's exactly why, because I intended to be home with my children during the day. And I had yeah. babysitters across the street. So.
1: You, you sound like you, your children were really lucky to have you as a parent. Okay. Well, now, now, Anne, you've been married for
2: thirty-three years. How did you meet your third husband? I met him when I was working my second job in a restaurant, and wow. I always and I always that I had always said, "Oh, good night." You don't meet anyone who's really of good quality hanging out in a restaurant or a bar, any of that. Well, I had to eat my words, and my friends made me. Um, but he has been—he has been just the ultimate partner, and I have to say, he gets an awful lot of credit for all of this because I have so much—I th- have so much going on, and he's just been that stalwart partner, and he's just amazing. In fact, we just celebrated our 33rd anniversary last year.
1: Oh, well, congratulations, and it's really an accomplishment to have a long-term marriage, and if it's a happy one. I know many, many of my patients come and they go, oh my gosh, we've been married for 40 years, and we hate each other. that's, that's, That's the kind of thing that I count as a something to celebrate. Now, how did the two of you make your
2: marriage so great? Because you had children, right? Yes. We were Concord's answer to, to the Brady Bunch. He had three and I had three. Oh, <laughs> my goodness. How did you make that work? It, uh, you know, I'm not going to be flippant at all about that because it was a lot of work. The children ranged in age from two or three up to 13. So those teenage years are not to be trifled with, as I'm sure any parent can uh, relate. That's but true. It, it was tough. You know, they try to play one against the other, and how come this one can do it and they can't? And we took some classes, because we're big believers in realizing the fact that we're not experts in anything. And so we tried to get some ideas about how to make things work, and we did we um, we realized that we were going to have a united front and be damn the torpedoes full speed ahead and uh, and we did and the kids knew that if we said something we were going to stick to it and that, that was it so don't try to con us into something else but our schedules were so busy we had a calendar um, with the children's uh, it, you know, the things that they had to do written in a different color magic marker. So if you had a piano lesson or a swim meet or a soccer game, you better get it on the on the uh, calendar because we were the only ones with driver's licenses and if you wanted to get to someplace, it had to be there so we could plan. So there were a few, a few years there where we just kind of waved at each other like two ships passing in the night. <laughs> Well,
1: I love it that you made it part of the kids' responsibility to put their activities and their needs on a calendar. Now, Ann, you've told me that you had to um, overcome different parenting styles. First of all, I want to say that parenting styles is a topic that's rarely discussed (laughs) before people get married. And it's a pity because different parenting styles can cause so much dissension between a couple. And with that in mind, I'm going to put your comment on hold because we're coming up on a break. And okay. I want to say, listeners, we will be back with Ann Kendrick in about two minutes.
5: Last week, my party chief said he wanted to go someplace he had never been before. So I took him to the rear property line. Sound familiar? Are you tired of trudging all the way to the back of property lines? Why not take the steps to become a crew chief instead? Or even better, why not become a professional land surveyor and see your name stamped on that final survey? The Nettleman Institute of Land Surveying Engineering Technology is your next step. At Niset, we believe you are the future of surveying, and we want to do everything we can to help you succeed at becoming a professional surveyor. NYSET offers the only online one-year certificate of land surveying program that includes all books, fees, and expenses in one simple price. Visit LandSurveyCareer.com to stop trucking through the mud and step into your future today.
0: You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.
1: Welcome back, listeners, to Dr. Ann's Relationship Radio. We are here this morning with our guest, Ann Kendrick, who's been um, uh, an adventurer, I want to say, in her life And, Anne, before our break, we were talking about you having three children, your third husband having three children, Mm -hmm. and the topic of parenting styles. So how did you get through any differences in your parenting styles?
2: Well, I'm not going to kid you. It was a lot of hard work, a lot of conversations behind closed doors. All kinds of things like that. We took a class called a step class. I don't know if you've heard of it before. I have. Okay. We took that because uh, in the beginning, we were about to wring each other's necks. But that was the learning curve. And that made a huge difference in our lives and with our kids. And the one thing I think, and of course, our children... Are, are no longer children and haven't been since you know the end of time. But uh, they talk about how the things that they because it was we were curious to find out what what did you take from this childhood, and they always all said we knew we could count on you guys no matter what to do whatever you said you were going to do. We could count on you to be that rock. And um, I I think that's probably the biggest compliment they could have given us. It's not that they liked our decisions all the time, and we made some doozy mistakes, I'll tell you that. But um, we watch the way they parent their own children, and it just makes my little heart glad. And uh, we tell them all the time how proud we are of the choices that they've made. It's... uh, it's been an amazing ride, I'll tell you that.
1: I will bet it has. And you know, listeners, I have found through my practice, um, many people like Anne, our guest today, who have really dedicated themselves to being solid, stable, good parents who do what they say, and that is probably one of the best gifts you could ever give your children. Now, Ann, I'm going to skip from being a parent to your time as a cocktail waitress for four and a half years. (laughs) Tell us about why you selected that job, because here you are with a college degree, and uh, you decided to become a waitress. And I just want to say that times have really, really changed, I think, and our perception of our folks who are providing service to us needs to change also because um, it's not the high school kid anymore. No. Uh, There's people with master's degrees and doctorates who are our servers and then people with great integrity who haven't finished school. So could you comment about
2: that decision and what you learned from that? I I really would like to do that. Um, It came... It happened at the end of my second marriage, and I knew I needed to get work. Uh, I had three little mouths to feed those little buggers like regular feeding times. So uh, I, uh, excuse me, my mother was visiting and one of her grade school friends from North Dakota, and um, we had gone out, just the three of us. I had my sitters from across the street come watch the kids, and we were sitting there drinking a margarita before we went in to dinner and I started talking to the bartender a female and uh, I, I I strike up conversations with any place I figure it, it looks interesting and she was and I she said what are you doing we started a conversation and uh, and I told her what I wanted to do and she said well why don't you be why don't you come work here?" And you can be with your kids during the day. And I thought, golly gosh, that sounds like a stellar idea. And so I did. And I did that for four and a half years because I was a single mom. And my children needed me at home during the day. So I would uh, be with them during the day, get up, fix breakfast, get them off to school, be there when they came home, you know, snacks, homework, all that. I'd have dinner ready. Then one of my babysitters, and I was so blessed with this, they lived across the street. And we were all friends, and they would come over, feed my children dinner, and put them to bed. And then I would come home, and, you know, the day would begin again. I didn't have a lot of sleep those four and a half years, but that was okay. I was. Yeah, able- I want
1: to say, bless your heart. There is, I've been a single mom of three before. Okay, then you know. I do know it's really, really hard to raise three kids, mine were all two years apart, and um, have a career and then come home and also be mom and dad at the same time. Right. Passed off to all the single parents out there, whether it's a male or a female parent, doesn't matter. It's still the same big responsibility.
2: It is, and I was... So fortunate to have wonderful friends in my life who were helpful. Yes. If a babysitter couldn't come, I could call one of them and say, "And in this tone, I'm desperate tonight." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now, you told me that at the same time you were
1: working at night as a cocktail waitress, you studied for and, and passed the California. Uh, real estate licensing test, and now you're a realtor and have been for
2: 33 years. What led you to real estate? You know, it's an interesting story to me anyway. Throughout my <coughs> excuse me living in California, I met two or three people who had said to me, gosh, why don't you get into real estate? I think it'd be really good. And so one day I just thought, okay, I'll try that. <laughs> and that was it. And so I would come home <laughs> from working at the restaurant, study principles of real estate, and fall asleep on the table and go to bed and get up and do it again. But um, at that time, I uh, studied and took my test. I was married to my just genius, wonderful partner and uh, and started selling real estate, which I did. I don't do it anymore. I have a partner to whom I refer my repeat business. But right now, I'm just doing theater and loving it.
1: Uh, I, I want to go back into that a little bit.
2: Let's yeah. go back to college in your USO days. Was it fun for you to be an actor? Oh, I have to tell you. This is going to sound so strange, but for those who enjoy acting, it's an addiction. It's an absolute addiction, whether you are on stage or backstage. It's the same thrill. And when I went back to it here, because I I didn't want to do it when my children were in school. You're gone all of the time. And I didn't want to do that. But the people are the same. The theater people of today are the same as the theater people of a million years ago. And it's so much fun. I'm doing a show right now with a lady whom you know, Beth Chastain. Mm -hmm. Um, And we are having so much fun. We opened last weekend. It is such a high to be able to do that. And to me, it's play. And to do it with dear friends of yours is an even bigger thrill. And I started this at the age of 13.
1: Oh, my gosh.
2: And and so you raised your family, and then in 2006, you returned to acting, right? I did. I had been directing plays at my church, but I wanted to go back to acting, and so I did. I actually had a real estate client whose mother uh, ran a theater in Pleasant Hill. So I went over there and auditioned and, you know... The last time I had done a play was when they had Gaslight, so it was a while. But uh, I started back and just, you know, moved on through uh, different theater companies. I've had the p- privilege and the huge pleasure to work with many, many theater companies in this area, and it is just so much fun.
1: Now, I, I have always wanted to ask uh, someone in the theater this question, because when I, I uh, go to musicals in San Francisco, the best of Broadway, on a regular basis. Sure. So I, I look at these actors and actresses and I wonder, how hard is it to remember your lines?
2: <laughs> I, think, I think I have a real problem. Well, I'll tell you, it goes back to when we were talking about keeping your mind sh- uh, in shape. Yes. Stay sharp. We, every actor I know has a different way of learning lines. My particular way of doing it is I have a little handheld tape recorder. And once I have gotten as familiar with the lines as I can, I make my own rehearsal tape. I say everybody else's lines, and when I come to a spot in the script where my lines are typed, then I'm silent and just let time go by. So that when I listen to that tape, I learn my lines. I... uh, I fill them in. So yeah, I turn uh, that tape on when I'm at a point now, and I can be dancing around the house, which is what I do, because uh, I don't know them when I'm distracted. I don't know them well enough on stage. Well, and we're coming to the end of our radio program. I can't believe it. And
1: quickly, I want to ask you, what's the biggest lesson in life that you've learned? You've lived a life that venture and achievement what's the biggest lesson
2: i would have to say um i would have to say the biggest thing is teamwork mm-hmm. it is such a gift in every everything i've done as required others to make it successful for me
1: oh that's that's a great thing for us to ponder and listeners we have just shared some of Ann Kendrick's life with her. And, Ann, I really want to thank you so much
2: for being so generous and sharing your adventures. With May you. I say one quick thing? Quickly. Quickly. Everybody go see the play Ripcord in Danville. We have two okay. more weekends, Friday, Saturday night, Sunday matinee.
1: Okay. Now, for me, sharing people's adventures, successes, and challenges and emotions with them is my life's work. Yes. It does not actually work, though, for me. I find it an honor that in my personal and professional life listening is a gift I can freely give to others. And my friends and relatives return the favor. Yes. Each of us can give the gift of listening to another human being. Try it. And until next week, this is Dr. Ann Shebert reminding you that only you can make your world the way you
0: want it to be. You're listening to America's web radio on the americasbroadcastnetwork.com. Thank you for listening.